has her role changed? And of course you know I'm referring to has the role of women changed? And I think you already know the answer to the question uh, is that in some ways it has and in some ways it has not. Uh, but I want to look at with today's lesson and the following lesson, not only how society is viewing that, but also how the church is viewing and should be viewing that. Uh, we live at a time now where change is constant. Uh, some of the things that we are experiencing now 30, 40, 50 years ago, you never would have thought they would be here. Uh, 30 years ago, you would not have thought you could have, let alone afford, a cell phone. Now, your, your children have come along where cell phones are just everywhere. Uh, but those of you a little bit older uh, know that cell phone used to be almost as big as this, this padfolio. <laughs> Uh, and now they're so small, you can put them in a shirt pocket or definitely inside your jacket pocket. But that just shows the evolution of technology. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, you didn't know what GPS was. If you couldn't read a map, you were just in trouble. And now, uh, you don't even need to look at a map. You just plug in it and your, your GPS or your cell phone just talks to you. And for some of us, I know you appreciate that because you still can't read a map. <laughs> but our world is constantly changing. And, and a lot of the technology and a lot of the changes that are being made are good. And we need to be thankful to God for that. But by the same token, we need to also acknowledge some of the changes that we are experiencing are not good and they're not healthy. And we as the believers of God need to be able to decipher uh, those things that are good and helpful from those things that are not. And so the question is, how has the role of women changed in our world and our society? Well, one of the things that we see more and more is that women are now better educated. Women now go to college. They get undergraduate degrees, master's degrees, MD, PhDs, all those kinds of things that opens up a whole nother world to them that 30 or 40 years ago, or 50 years ago for that matter, was not available. Uh, that's progress, and we need to be thankful for that because with the increasing education that our women are able to get, now they're not so dependent on others to provide and take care of them, especially when they are single. Now, and I say that particularly because things change a little bit once you get married, but when you're a single female out there, and you're of age and you're out on your own, I'm thankful that you've now made enough money to take care of yourself. Amen. And I'm sure your parents are also, Sister Brittany. They're waiting for you to graduate from grad school. All right. So, but we need to be thankful. And sometimes you ought to go and talk to maybe your grand. Uh, if your grandmother's alive or uh, some people in your grandmother's age, and just let them talk about how life was back when they were growing up. And, and hear them talk about the opportunities that they had. And you need to be thankful you were born when you were born. So, so, so one of the things that has changed in women's favor is education. Uh, another thing that has changed is childbearing. Now, it used to be 10, 15 children was nothing. Now, some of you stroking out just for hearing me say that. 
But uh, uh, just a few years ago, having 10 or 15 or more children, that was a norm. That was in. Uh, we're at a different point now. And, and, and so now women are having less children. And some of them uh, have no children. But that's a part of the evolution, that's part of the growth, that's part of the progress uh, of our uh, country. And some of them are waiting until they're much older to have children, late 30s, 40s, and even getting close to 50. That's, that's a change that's going on in our society. Now, I would not encourage any of you to wait till you, your late 40s or 50s uh, to have children. And I'm going to tell you why. See, I believe raising children is something for the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds where you have the energy, Sister Shea, where you have the energy to run around and play with these little ones and take them to the parks and run after them and stuff like that. When you get to be about 40, you're tired of running around. You're tired. And they still got all that energy. And so instead of you wearing them out, they wear you out. But, 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 but that's, a, that's, that's one of the results of waiting and having children later in life. Now, you know, one of the negatives associated with that is, you know, when you get to be in your 50s and you still got toddlers, that, there's, a, there's a big difference in the world. Sister Waukesha, that's a big difference. I know you're not in your 50s yet. Uh, but there's a big difference in our worldview. And if you're not careful, you can be out of touch with the world your children are growing up in. And that's going to create a whole lot of inner turmoil in the house. And then we have women who, uh, who are not only waiting to have children later, but they're choosing not to get married. Now, now that's a two-edged sword. Uh, I, I believe that folk who are not ready or who don't have the tolerance or patience for marriage or not get married at all. But, but if you go down that road, what are you going to do for companionship? I just want to throw that out as caution so that you don't uh, choose not to get married, but yet you want to have a marital relationship with somebody and start shacking. Oh, everybody got quiet then. <laughs> But that's a part of the changes that are going on in our world. And, and, and people have lost uh, the, the, the respect for marriage. And then one of the other things that happened uh, as it relates to women is more women now work outside the home. There was a time when uh, women, for the most part, worked at home, husbands went out, uh, and made the bacon and brought it home and the wife cooked it. But now we live at a, at a time and age where women are a significant part of our work, uh, workforce. They are executives, uh, they are politicians, they are entrepreneurs, and so they're all out there doing things that just a few generations ago they couldn't do. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things. It's a part of what is happening in our world. But we have to be careful that we don't let the changes that are going on in, out in the world cause us to think we got to change stuff in the church. Now, let me get to the heart of, of part two of this lesson. And that is, uh, the world cannot change. And we shouldn't let the world change God's order for the church. 
Now, there are a whole lot of changes that are for the better. And we need to be thankful for that. Uh, but we don't get so caught up in that that we forget how, what God's order is. And that becomes what we have to now manage. I need to take us back to Genesis. For in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27, we learn that that woman was created equal to man. And, and some of you brothers need to hear me on this and stop being uh, afraid to acknowledge that a woman has the same value as we do Amen. to God. Amen. Different role, but the same value to God. Uh, she has been created in the image of God, just like we have. She has spiritual value, just like we have. And she has been created to serve God, just as men have been. And so there has to be a shared understanding of that. Lest we get the big head and think that uh, she can't do certain things that I can do. And so what I would say to that kind of thinking is a woman can do whatever God has not limited her from doing. And, and so as our world evolves, as our congregation evolves, we got to get with the program and recognize that there have been some practices that we've had long time ago, not only in our world, but also in our congregations, that have limited women's ability to serve at the level God created her for. Amen. And we gotta have some brothers who are not threatened, because the woman is more educated than you are. So if you get threatened, go back to school and get some more education. That's how you handle that. Uh, but don't abuse her, don't mistreat her, uh, because she's better educated. She can speak better English than you can. So, in the beginning, it is important to understand how God set this thing up. Men and women, equal values for which God is turned. We both have a soul that needs to be saved. We both have been gifted to work in the kingdom of God, though we may not have been gifted to do the same things. Well, woman was created for several purposes. And, and I think it's important that we are reminded of that from the biblical perspective. Lest we again get so focused on what the world is saying. First of all, woman was created to be a companion or helper for man. I need for us to understand man was not created to be a helper to the woman. The woman was created to be a helper to the man. Guess who was created first? Adam, the man. And God said it wasn't good for him to be alone. So God created someone for him to help him, to be a companion to him, not someone to rule over him. So she was created to be a companion for man. She was created to bear children. It is God's plan for the majority of women or the most women to bear children. We recognize some can't. But the average woman in her lifetime, if she does what biology says, will have children. So that's, that's a part of her creation. She has replenished the population. I, and by the way, that's why two men and two women, that, that can't be God's order. 
Because last time I took biology, it takes a sperm and an egg. Not two eggs and not two sperms. She was also created to guide the home. And sisters, it doesn't matter you got all this wonderful career and all that kind of stuff, that's fine and good, but when we're talking about what biblically, one of your roles is still to guide the home. So you can work 100 hours a week on your job, but you still got a responsibility to guide the home. And then, as I've said before, she was created to serve God right along with the brothers. So I said that to set a background, not only for today's lesson, but for the second one that's going to come. So we begin to understand what God says about the matter, how, what he created women to do, and then what we see going on in society. And what I would say is our sisters have great potential that has not been tapped because of limited thinking. And because people are threatened or afraid with somebody who has more education uh, than they do. And I need for us as brothers to understand, even though God has given us a position of leadership, a good leader values the people that support them. A good leader does not take that for granted. So be that husband, be that father, uh, be that church leader. Because we are all in this thing together. Now, to help us to begin to see the value God places on women, uh, there are three passages that I had read. Luke chapter 8, Romans chapter 16, and then Philippians chapter 4. Because I want us to see how Jesus, how God, how the apostles felt about women. To begin to help us to begin to understand that women are a valuable resource to the church. And I don't, need, I don't need to say that the majority of the folk looking at me this morning, right here in the auditorium, are not men. They are females. And we need to value what ladies bring to the table. So in Luke chapter 8, uh, in this passage, uh, we see Jesus carrying out his ministry responsibility. The text will say he's going from city uh, to villages. And he's traveling, preaching on the kingdom of God. I need to remind us that we need to do more teaching and preaching on the kingdom. We spend a whole lot of time wrestling with people over specific things instead of helping them to understand the need to be a part of the kingdom and the need to understand that the king is in charge not the citizens of the kingdom. Because if we can get people to understand the scope of the kingdom and who the king is, then people will understand you gotta fall in line with the orders of the, ki of the king. I'm amazed how we understand that on job. Don't you all fall in line with the rules and policies on the job and your supervisor doesn't have to bring out the rule book every day? As a matter of fact, they don't have to bring it out uh, once a month. You go to work every day knowing what you're supposed to do. But 
some kind of way when it comes to the kingdom. Well, that's another sermon. So as Jesus travels from city to city and village to village, he's taking the message to where the people are. I need for us to understand, we purchase buildings, we build buildings, and we want people to come to where we are. And we're missing it. We ought to be going to where the people are. The people need the kingdom. And so they're not going to necessarily understand that on their own. Somebody who's a part of the kingdom needs to love them, care enough about them to go to them and share with them, you're missing something. You think you're having a good time with what you're doing. We really have a good time in the kingdom. And so simple message, the kingdom of God is at hand and you need to be a part of it. But what we also learn from the passages, as Jesus is going around traveling and teaching and preaching, he has an entourage with him. He got his posse with him. And some of you guys, you guys who love these rappers, you see them on TV, and they got 20, 30 people following them. And you start wondering, what, what are you doing with all these folk? Because all they're doing is just soaking up air and living off the rapper. But not so with Jesus. Uh, he had his 12 following him. And so they're following him, learning and observing what he's doing, because eventually they're going to have to do it. And the 12 were 12 men. But the text does not stop there. In verse number two, it says, And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So women were a part of his entourage. And I need for us to understand that women have always been there supporting the ministry of Jesus. Right. Uh, you remember when his disciples, the men ran away scared, it was still women there. And so we have just a list of a few women who were supporting Jesus. And the key to all of this is remember that the text said that he healed them of evil spirits and infirmities. So when you have had a personal encounter with Jesus, where he has changed your life, it becomes easy to follow him. If you stay back in the crowd and you don't want to get close to him, then you'll never understand why it is some people love Jesus and they can't get enough of being around him. And they'll stay around him all day long when you want to go home. He had blessed their lives. Now there's more devotion that we see just in these verses from the sisters that are following Jesus than the brothers who were there. Because again, you know that, that some things are going to happen and these brothers are going to get ghosts. They're going to be gone. So, these women who have been healed and cured by Jesus stick by his side. And the text says that there were many others, latter part of verse number three, who provided for him from their substance. So, these women were providing financially for the ministry of Jesus. Women will show up and they will give sacrificially, brothers. All they need to know is that there is a cause. There's a reason. There's a need. 
and they will dig deep and come up with something. And we'll just look at the floor and pretend I didn't hear that. I am thankful that we got some faithful sisters up in the house. And so, again, just from this brief glimpse, we begin to see women were present with Jesus. They supported his ministry because they recognized how he had impacted their lives. When you recognize what Jesus has done for you, the situations he's brought you out of, the problems that would have been had it not been for you following Jesus. You, you got to follow him. You got to stay close to him. You got to be around him. And, and you're going to support him in whatever way you can. But that's just these sisters. Let's look in Romans chapter 16. We meet another sister. Her name is Phoebe. And, and so I know you've heard of Phoebe. And so the text will say, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is who is a servant of his church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever things she has need of. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom, now, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their home. So Paul acknowledges Phoebe as a significant servant of the church. He first of all says she is a sister in Christ. She's a Christian. He says she's a faithful servant of the church at Sincrea. She's not just a servant. She's not just a member. She's faithful, dependable. You can count on her. We need to understand that Paul is giving her an outstanding recommendation in what he's saying about her. And so the, the people at Rome, when they got this letter, would know she's genuine. She has been faithful at our congregation so you can help her in whatever business she has to take care of in Rome. And you first understand that in the early church, women had specific roles that they played at congregation. They didn't just show up. But women took care of the sick. They took care of the needy. Uh, they were responsible for helping uh, deal with the hospitality for strangers. They visited, uh, took care of prisoners. There were specific duties that they were given because of just the nature of being a woman. Now contrast that with what you see happening in a lot of our congregations today, where we're focused on giving men roles, but you don't necessarily see that happening a whole lot with women being assigned meaningful roles. I look forward to the day when we have a brother who says, I'll help out with children's church. You know, I have no men who volunteer for children's church. I, I, I look forward to when we put together a communion schedule that we have a brother who says, I'll help prepare communion. I'll, I'll. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I look forward to the day when we're having some meetings or some activities going on here, and we have some brothers who say, we'll take care of the children. Amen. Like maybe when there's a ladies' day program, Amen. and women want to come, but they don't have no babysitter. Maybe some of us brothers, on what is it, August the 20th, August the 20th maybe some of us were free of our schedule and say, wives, you go to the ladies' day program, and we husbands will take care of the children. Uh, can I get any brothers to volunteer with me? Okay, send me an email. You don't want to talk out loud. Send me an email if, if you want to help out in that area. History tells us, and the text tells us, that Phoebe carried the letter, this letter, to the Roman church. So she was entrusted to carry this body of information to the Roman church. That means she was trustworthy. You, you don't give anybody a, a, a special, a sacred document to carry around unless you know you can trust them. They're not going to forget it. They're not going to misplace it. They're not going to damage it. And so she brought the letter to the Romans. And then Paul said she was a helper of many people, including myself. She was a servant. She was a faithful servant. She was a devoted servant. And Paul does not mind or have a problem with saying that to the individuals or to the brothers and sisters at Rome because she's a woman who's worthy of being called an example. Now, we have some women up in here that I can write this kind of letter on. But we don't have a whole lot of brothers that I can write this letter on. So let, let me explain that. We have a lot of brothers who are in position, but they haven't proven any faithfulness. We have some sisters who are not in positions of authority, yet they have proven themselves through service that they are faithful and dependable. And I don't know about you, but my perspective on faithfulness is about more than you having a title. And one of the reasons some of our congregations have been running into the ground is we've, been, we've settled for brothers with titles, and the individuals who are most equipped to do the work, the females, we overlook them. Brothers, we can learn some lessons from our sisters. Oh, and by the way, who teaches the majority of Bible classes here at the Bedford Street Church of Christ? Who makes up the majority of the workers in our ministry here at the Bedford Street Church of Christ? Who makes up the largest group that attends our services here on Sunday? Who gives the largest amount of finances up in here? Amen. Now, we want to brag, brothers. I'm a man. I'm the head of the house and all that kind of stuff. But I, I rarely see us bragging about anything spiritual. So I'm thankful uh, that Jesus and the apostles understood the value of women and said some things in scripture to help us 
to begin to value our sisters. He talks about Phoebe, but he doesn't stop there. In verses 3 through 4, he talks about this dynamic husband and wife team named Priscilla and Aquila. Notice whose name comes first. That tells you something about the duo. Now, a lot of times when we introduce people, it's Mr. and Miss. You guys notice that? This is Mrs. and Mr. Priscilla is listed first. Of the six times that they are mentioned in the New Testament, four times Priscilla's name comes first. I think we need to start understanding that sometimes in a marriage, in a relationship, the woman is the stronger of the two individuals. The woman is the one who knows more about scripture than her husband. The woman is the one who's most concerned about the things of God. He just goes along with her. Now, I need for, for us brothers to understand there's nothing wrong with your wife knowing more Bible than you do. Because some of us need to recognize we're not studious. We may read, but we don't spend no time studying. So how are you going to know more than she does if you don't study? Some of us need to recognize we didn't grow up being faithful in church attendance. But our wives did. Anybody willing to admit you married to a Priscilla up in here? I'm talking to husbands now. Uh, any of our single brothers willing to admit you dating a Priscilla? Or are those spiritual things, they don't matter until after you get married? Priscilla and Aquila here. Paul says they are fellow workers. They work right along with him. But notice who was the more prominent of the two, Priscilla. I like what Paul says. Paul says they risked their necks for me. This husband and wife team were so sacrificial and so devoted that they put themselves in jeopardy on behalf of Paul. We need some men and women who are willing to be sacrificial and inconvenienced for the cause of Christ. And not say, well, you know, we got other things to do. What more do you have to do what more do you have to invest in than your spiritual health? We love to sing about heaven. We love to talk about heaven. But what heavenly things are we doing? And then not only that, the text will say that they had a house church that met in their house. So they had a large enough facility that other individuals could gather on for Sunday worship. How many of us are willing to open up our homes if we didn't have a building, if we didn't have a place to, to meet? You'd be willing to open up your home and say, you guys can come to my house. And we, we have Sunday worship there. Versus making all kind of excuses. Well, it's too small. I don't have enough room. Well, we don't expect to go to somebody's house and have the amount of room we have here. 
Now, I've gone to people's houses for spiritual gatherings. Folks sat on the floor. The, the goal was to, to be together. It wasn't about comfort. But a lot of times, that's what we think about is comfort. I, you know, I can't sit on the floor. That floor is too hard. Put a stool over there. Sit on that. Get a beanie bag. Sit on that. If the goal is to be together and worship, you're not going to be there all day. But I say all that to say, appreciate the kind of thinking and hospitality that would go into opening your home. Now, some of you got beautiful homes. Have you opened your house up for church fellowship? Have you opened your house up for a church fellowship? Some of you got new houses. You got all the room in the world. Uh, but have you opened up your home and said, if you guys need a place for a sister's uplift or you need a place for the brothers uh, to meet for a fellowship, you can come to my house. Instead of getting all vain, well, you know, no, we just need a place to meet. Even if we got to meet in your backyard. You do remember when we started these house fellowship, it was just meeting in the backyard. But I'm thankful to this couple, and in particular, Miss Priscilla, for helping to lead the way. And brothers, you and I need to be thankful for faithful sisters. But it doesn't stop there. In Philippians chapter 4, we have in verses 2 and 3 a situation uh, that there's a problem between two sisters at the congregation. And a lot of times when we go to this passage, that's all we focus on is the dispute that's going on between them. Rather than looking at the role that they played in the congregation and the influence that they had. So the Bible say in verse number two, I implore Judea and, and I implore Sintity to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so we have two faithful female church members here. They're in conflict. We see this kind of conflict with brothers all the time. We learn that they were prominent members of the congregation. These women were respected at the congregation. Because if they weren't prominent, then this dispute, dispute that's going on with them wouldn't be worth even mentioning. Now, we also know that this dispute obviously was not doctrinal, because if, if it were doctrinal, Paul would have said how to handle it. So it was a, it was a personality uh, conflict or something along those lines. I have been told, sisters, that you all can be catty, whatever that means. I, that's what I've been told, and I was told it by another sister, so don't blame me. But these two sisters were prominent members of the congregation, well-respected, but who had a conflict. And, and Paul understands because of their prominence and because of the influence they have in the congregation, we need to work to help them resolve this so it doesn't create division in the congregation because church folk love to see problems and take sides rather than trying to help fix and mend the situation. So they had influence in the congregation, and Paul did not want them to lose their influence 
because they couldn't get along. And I would remind us when we see uh, church members in conflict, we need to help them to get along. It's not about trying to win an argument. It's not about uh, who's right and all that kind of stuff. It is, you guys are Christians. Uh, you're going to hurt your influence. You're going to hurt your reputation. You're going to hurt your good name. So you guys need to work this out. Can we do anything to help you? That's, that needs to be our attitude instead of wanting to just gossip about it. Paul says, they labored with me. They fought right alongside with me for the cause of the gospel. Paul is continually reminding us that these women that he's talked about, talking about were faithful Christians. They didn't just show up at the building. They were servants when they went to the, the public gathering. And brothers, we can learn a whole lot about their faithfulness in the midst of whatever circumstances that they were in so that we can also help value women. The largest population of our congregation are women. They are not always respected by us brothers like they ought to be. Their opinions are not always valued like they ought to. Brothers, you need to recognize they follow you even though they know you're incompetent. They follow you because God has said, line up under biblical authority. And they will even come to you kind and polite with an idea and you just shoot them down. Because it wasn't your idea. And you don't understand. They're just trying to help you look good. So I'm thankful to these sisters. Let me prepare to end the lesson. Because part two, I'm going to go a little bit more in terms of some of the changes that have occurred church-wide. I'm saving that for the coup de grace. But, but save it, say, uh, safe to say, now I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, and the, point, the first point I want to make is that society has changed, not God. So in our haste to embrace all this uh, new technology and all these new policies that are going on out there, God has not changed. And we're going through a whole nother uh, uh, political situation with all these states changing abortion laws and stuff like that and folk acting a fool over this stuff. And, and I'm saying, what's the problem? Because I understand God's law. And so if you're out there trying to defend a woman's right to kill a baby, then you need to read your scriptures again. Society has changed. God hasn't changed. Life is precious. God gives life. You nor I nor the state has the right to take it. And we will assume because these laws have been legislated that I'm okay. You're a Christian. That's okay for the people of the world to think that way. That's not okay for a child of God to be thinking. Well, society has changed and say, woman, if you like another woman, you can marry her. That's what society has said. But what has God said about it? God still says marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, some of you, you deal with this every day on your job. 
Uh, some of you uh, in the school district, you deal with this. Uh, every, those are the devil's headquarters over there. So there's some stuff you got to deal with over there. Up in here, we're not, we're not siding with the devil. Amen. Society has changed, not God. So her role, biblical role, has not changed. Her opportunities have changed. Sister Monique, I just got to talk about you. Talk good about you. Sister Monique heads our finance ministry. Now, brothers, if you're big and bad and say you're more credentialed than she is, show me your resume. Because we're not putting a person in that role solely based on tradition. She's a banker. She has the financial experience. Isn't that the kind of person you want handling the church's money? Yes. Somebody with some integrity that other folk think has integrity. Since she's a vice president at a company, just yes. tell all your business. Yeah. But I need to say this because we're living in a world where people feel churches don't value women. Guess who the CEO of the Bedford Street Church of Christ Finances is? MK. I am thankful that we have an opportunity that allows her to minister to God and to us in a way where God is pleased and we're edified. And let me just drop this as I'm talking. And even though she leads the ministry, she knows how to work with the brothers on the committee. So I have not heard any of them say she talks down to us, she's mean to us, she's bossing us around. As a matter of fact, I feel she delegates too much to them. That's just me personally. But she has the committee working. So I'm thankful for opportunities like that. And as we continue to keep on growing, uh, we're going to look for other opportunities that we can put our sisters in to bless the congregation and be goodwill ambassadors for God. Amen. Women bring a nurturing presence to the church. Now, come on, brothers. We're not nurturers by nature. Women are. And at some point, you got to be honest about who you are, what you are. Uh, there's a reason that our wives spend more time with children than us daddies. It's not that we don't love our children. It's just a part of who they are. They, they had them for nine months before we even saw them. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they bring that balance to some of the hard decisions that we want to make, we need to be, we, it's, it's wise to listen. That means you're always going to agree with her or anything like that, but it gives you a perspective that you would not otherwise have. And we need to value that. And then the final thought I want to drop is that godly women, you need to hear me, godly women submit to biblical authority. Amen. You guys hear me? Godly women do. Now, I can't, I can't say what ungodly women would do, but I know what godly women would do. Because godly women know that as I submit to biblical authority, I'm submitting to God. 
That's why they can do that. Now, some of us brothers, we have a whole lot of a uh, problems with submitting to biblical authority. I'm not going to listen to a man. I'm a man just like he is and all that kind of stuff. That's why we don't get far in being church leaders. Because we don't understand. Everybody has to submit. And if you're a Christian, it's not hard to do. If it's a Christian, you recognize there is safety and security in submitting. You know why? Because when stuff go bad, it's his fault. It's his fault. Because I did my duty. I followed him. I supported him. He's the one who made the bad decision. See, godly women would not allow the world to mess up their thinking. Because they know who they are. They, they know who the head of their life is. And so with all that they do, they do it with an eye to pleasing God. That's why some of you godly women put up some, with some of the most triflingest men. Because you're godly. And you don't whine and complain about bad choices that you made. You just ask the Lord to help you. And you recognize this marriage is not eternal. You guys do know marriage is not eternal. It's going to end in a few years. And I know people, oh, you're going to be married in heaven. And when you read that in scripture, <laughs> marriage was given to us for earth. There you go. You know, you know the scriptures. So any of us ought to be the weather the storm for a few years. When you look at eternity, it is just a few years. Has her role changed? I tried to give you just some foundational thoughts for today. Next lesson, we'll go a little bit deeper. But suffice it to know that God's expectations, God's role for a woman has not changed. Society is learning something, coming to an awareness that a woman can do more than what we have limited her to in the past. And even our congregations are coming to that awareness. And the reality is, a part of it is being driven by the fact you look out and see who the majority of the folk are out there. You look at who, who the majority of the workers are. So some of these changes we've been forced to make, not necessarily because we wanted to, but the reality, if I want to get anything done, I've got to work with the folk that are here. But the better thing to do is to begin to look at the fact that God has created woman to serve right along with men. Yes. Even in the garden, Adam and Eve were supposed to serve together. Yes. They sinned and messed up the order. But God's plan was for them to co-lead or co-take care of the garden. And so as we live and grow today, we got to learn how to get along with the opposite sex. We got to learn how to get along and value the contribution that both of us bring to the table. And see if God won't be glorified when we do that. This morning, do you understand that her role from God's perspective has not changed? 
The world has made some changes. Churches, congregations have made some changes. But that's because they are just finally coming to the realization of what has always been in the word of God. God wants all of us to serve him. Our challenge is to be able to put aside our prejudices and our traditions to be able to look at each other as God sees us. And as we say, we want the most qualified person to do the job. Okay, do we really? What happens if the most qualified person is a woman? What happens if the only people who want to learn about the word of God are women? You just put a brother up there just so you can have a, a man up there? And the people sitting out here are more spiritual than he is? That won't grow a congregation. Now, don't read anything into my comments that I didn't say. Because some of you jumping already to some conclusions down there that I haven't even said anything. Stick with me with what I'm saying based on the verses I'm dealing with. So, so if you're going to quote me, Quote me right. If you're going to listen, listen with open ears, not jumping to something I didn't say or you're afraid I may be going to say. I understand the Bible. I understand, I understand the Bible when it talks about what men are supposed to do, women are supposed to do. But I also understand it enough to know we haven't been doing that. And if we want to grow a congregation uh, in this age, we're going to be better informed on the scriptures. See, stuff that folk took 50 years ago, these young college-educated women not going to tolerate today. They're not going to tolerate it. And if you want to have a balanced congregation, that's not all just old folks sitting out there. You have to present the word so that it connects with all of us. Now, I'm trying to present the word so it connects with all of us. I need for you to share what you are hearing with other folk who are not here. And tell them that the Bedford Street Church of Christ, we make the word relevant to the world we live in now, not the world 50 years ago. But that's part of the next sermon. So if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, uh, you have a confession that you need to make. We're going to give you the opportunity right now to respond as we stand and sing the song of encouragement.